the moral to the story is don't send your staff on missions trips. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. I asked him to specifically share what uh, he had shared confidentially with me back in uh, January about what God was doing in his life, and especially after I talked with him um, on the 19th of June about what God was doing in my heart, in my life. And uh, so many have asked about uh, Andrew. It's a logical thing. Um, it almost looks like as the pieces are coming together that we were smart enough to plan this. Let me just say this. There's been no smarts enough to plan anything. And uh, as far as uh, I'm concerned, I'm on a holy mission for God. As you would want anybody who leads you, you would want of your spouse, of your children. And uh, it looks to me like the stars are lining up unbeknownst to any of our plans. So you begin to pray. Uh, we did not mention in our bulletin today that uh, we have four new, uh, uh, well, some not so new, some older uh, deacons that you as a, uh, as a church body have selected. Uh, Kevin Jolly, Matt Stennett, it's good to have some young blood there. Ken Hawley, not so young, but wise and, and, and mature. And, of course, Tommy Miller, all four of these, just great I'm just reminded, this was my third time through on this one, that the church often is reflected by who you call as your deacons. And uh, praise the Lord for these uh, who have, uh, you have selected as a congregation. I saw already in the bulletin today, two of them already, it's their month to serve. So we didn't wait any time whatsoever to have them plug in this month with their phone numbers. Also, by uh, way of uh, information, um, the deacons uh, voted unanimously to identify uh, Bob Miller as your chairman of deacons uh, for uh, our church. As you know, four deacons rolled off, and um, this is a part of, uh, you would understand if you have ever been a deacon, the rolling off is they serve, they give of themselves, and uh, frankly, they need a break. So uh, in the genius of our bylaws, this is what we have done, and with that, Donnie uh, Sanders, who was uh, so much uh, just a faithful and committed person. I saw his name on the list uh, to go on a missions trip. He's just out there and happening. Bob approached me Thursday and asked, um, pending a meeting with the deacons on Monday, asked if I'd consider extending my time here uh, through the month of July. I quickly told him, uh, of course, uh, so you'll get to hear me a few more Sundays than what was uh, originally described, so we're honored to do that, pending that interaction with the deacons as well. One of the most difficult sermons I've ever preached was the funeral of my dad, and you can imagine. It's one of your call to ministries, and um, I was under the full impression that when I preached my dad's sermon, never finished high school, dad was a self-made man, he drove truck from the age of 13, lied about his age, and drove out of the coal mines of Ohio. He was always older and bigger in his appearance. <clears throat> and then got married at 16 years old, had four children by the time they were uh, 23, 24, and uh, the first child died of spinal meningitis. So my dad's had a tough way to go and never really quite made enough money, so my dad would 
the main staple was driving truck, and then he worked in a steel mill, Reeves Steel Mill there in Tuscarawas County. Then for a great uh, part of the deal, because he and my mother had conflict, he came off the road, and he got with High Holderbaum, a contractor, and learned how to build houses. So from bulldozing to, to, to uh, honestly, doing the survey work, uh, digging the hole for the basement, putting in the footer, and everything from there, including the shingles. And uh, during my formation time, uh, six, seven years of age, probably the most memorable time and most affectionate time I had with my dad was during that time. As that all over Tuscarawas County, you can go back, I can point you to the houses that my, my dad built. And uh, as bad as I probably shouldn't say this, but we would have a pound of bologna and a package of buns, a shovel and a roll of toilet paper. And so you can figure out where all that went and didn't go, but uh, we'd start early. And even as a youngster, he let me go sit under the shade sun, but I remember gripping a hammer or sitting on a roof and um, uh, just learning from my hero. And then I got saved as a senior in high school, approached my dad about the Lord. He was very bitter about my sister, his firstborn, dying of spinal meningitis. By the way, you can understand why I was so concerned about my grandson, Anthony, that uh, a week ago, no, two weeks ago now, he was rushed to Kosar, presumably with meningitis. And, um, but all things are good. It was, ended up being two types of pneumonia. Anyways, all that flakes back, and my dad um, got really bitter toward God and why God would take a little eight-month-old and leave him alive. So when I approached him about the things of Christ, my dad, uh, never did I see him cry, but he teared up and resisted and resented the very idea that God and the universe would uh, kill his baby and let him alive. And so that has been his point of pride almost all of his life. So when my dad died, I was informed by my stepbrother on a cell phone call, driving up Cannons Lane, not far from the seminary in Louisville, that my dad had died. Um, I prepared for his funeral. In my heart, I was preparing to preach a funeral, which I hate doing, knowing that the deceased is not in heaven. And then between the wake on a um, uh, Sunday and a uh, Tuesday, I was informed by a quarterback of my high school team had come to Christ. I hadn't heard from him for years. He had gone to the operating, uh, to a hospital, open hospital, where my uh, aunt was having open heart surgery, and my dad was present. And uh, I was informed at my dad's wake that um, in that operating uh, waiting area, my dad had bowed his heart, buried his cane in the carpet, bowed his heart, and out loud in front of all the people, you understand, that's, that, was, that in itself is something. And uh, asked Jesus to be a Savior. One man I prayed for for all those years from 1969 until the, the day my dad died, year 2000. Had to change my sermon. I was bringing a sermon. If my dad could speak today, here's what he'd want you to know. That's a kind of a nice way of saying it for the believers. That uh, I'm not going to, you know, speak disparaging of him. You don't go to a funeral and say, this man's in hell. You would never do that. At the same point, you've got to be true to the text. So I had a broken heart, and God was giving me the grace. And, but when I was informed that my, my dad, several months before he died, had indeed received Christ as his Savior. Well, his youngest born, me, as I delivered that sermon that day,
It was such a thrill to say that one day I'm going to see him. He's already, he's already connected with Jesus, his Savior. And he's already connected with Lila Kay, my sister. And one day I'm going to be connecting with him as well. He's already with his dad, my, my grandpa. And so that day I read a text. This is a familiar text. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. But to somewhat launch us, Luke 15, 7 says, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I read last night from the Holman Dictionary, where Chad Brand was the editor, that heaven is not a place that contains God. Heaven, to a great degree, is the very briefing room and the launching pad from which God operates. And that it is an ultimate destination that right now in heaven, I happen to believe, and, and, and possibly you embrace this as well, that great cloud of witnesses that we often hear about. You know, those folks who have gone before us. How many know someone personally? I mean, you were intimately connected with someone and they're no longer in this life, but they've already passed on to heaven's glory by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. They are there right now. How many of you know someone? Would you just slip your hand up? Virtually everyone in this room. One of the negatives about getting older, as you get older, more and more people you love, it seems you start looking around, pass into eternity. But we have a different perspective, don't we? Our life is not wrapped up in this life. Isn't this a, a, a great thing to know? I have received a text message on Friday before one of our members and said, Are you watching 2020 right now? How many got to see 2020? Barbara Walter's special. Her special was, Where is heaven and how do you get there? And so I quickly turned. I missed the first few moments and I picked up where Joel Olstein was speaking in the interview and he got all the way to Richard Gere, who believes this is all there is. Came into nothing, leave with nothing, heaven and hell's right here. And I would say this, though, you may have he heard that uh, presentation by 2020 and Barbara Walters' uh, uh, attempt to be fair in all of the last five minutes of talking about hell. But I'm thinking, boy, was there enough information for those who watch this to get hope about a reality of heaven. We were presented, we being Christians, born-again believers who have the truth in our hand, we were presented among one of so many different religions and faith. I even interviewed a lady that's an atheist. And uh, basically, I would say those who didn't know Christ certainly did not get encouragement from her attempt to be objective in her report. But I remember reading this text, and we're going to talk about thinking about home. I've used this. I've used this in the numerous funerals that I've done right here at this, uh, in my home church here. Beginning in verse 1 of John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that, that also you may be where I am. <clears throat> you know not the way to the place where I'm going. John 14, verse 1 through 4. So today, I want to talk about heaven. 
put it all in perspective. You probably remember <clears throat> when our folks, uh, when America launched our first guys at Ultimate JFK in the early 60s, said, I'm going to, before the decade, America will place a man on the moon. How many remember our president saying that? At that time, we thought, are you kidding me? There's no way this is going to happen. And sure enough, before the decade of 1960 ended, we all watched, uh, at our children were, schools were shut down, and we watched a historic event. America was the first person, the first nation, to actually plant that flag. Of course, they read the book of Genesis, and they also uh, talked about that one small step, one major leap for mankind, all those different things. But there was a picture that was taken that now is on posters and billboards. It's a picture of the moon with a, looking back at the earth and getting an earth. You remember, how many know what picture I'm talking about? I mean, you've had to, let me hold your hand. All of a sudden, you realize as you look at that globe, and it was a, an actual picture. It wasn't something that was Photoshopped. You looked at that, that globe spinning, and you, you could see somewhat of the land mass, and you maybe want to locate, for me it was Tuscarawas County there in northeast Ohio, trying to configure where America was and where I might be looking back from the moon. Because obviously I've stood, as I've, as I've done this past week, here in Breckenridge County and looked up this week. We had a beautiful full moon. And I'm thinking, my land. Now all of a sudden, with, a, with literally a camera made by man, from man, in outer space, taking a, a picture of the earth. And I thought, there is something that you've heard me referenced, uh, probably my two years plus being here, Multiple times, getting the right perspective. Standing on the moon and looking back at earth. And I've learned many times in the passing of time, though that was literally a great application, is that often you get so absorbed in whatever's happening in your life, spiritually at times, we need to stand on the moon and look back at earth. We need a divine perspective about our life the great victories we experience, and also the great tragedies that confront us. What is God saying in all of these things? And there's no quicker way, and I think that's why Satan doesn't like us to talk about heaven, doesn't like us to talk about hell. Why? He knows that any time that any one of us spiritually stands on that moon and looks back at the earth and see how, honestly, how Small is compared to the vastness of our great God. All of a sudden, the thing that overwhelmed us, the thing that dominates our thinking, the, the elephant that often comes inside our rooms of our life, all of a sudden, rather than focus on that, that distractor, that, that main event, that we're able to look beyond the elephant in the room, or that 600-pound gorilla in the room, and looked toward our God. And by faith, He gives us the capacity to come right outside of ourselves by faith. It's impossible to please God, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God removes us from our, maybe the, the pinnacle and the crescendo of our great victories and accomplishment, or maybe through life's great disparaging moments like when I buried my dad. And at that moment, the most, traumatic experience of any son, even though my dad and I struggled in a relationship and all those things you've heard me talk about over the years, at that moment I just was so overwhelmed by his... But the truth of it is, though he's been gone since the year 2000, I've had moments 
Maybe you've had moments like this. I said to Becky last week, I'd just like to talk to Dad. Someone you really care about. And it was not even over a big deal. I'd just would like to be in the same room and have a little chat with him. And what lifts us beyond those tragic moments, whether that funeral I did in, in uh, that spring of his departure, or even today, stand on the moon, look back at earth. And that's what the message of heaven does for us. Heaven gives us that great capacity to really put it in perspective. And I would like to say respectfully, Miss Walters, to her questions, heaven is real. Don't need to do a research about it. I have enough research in my hand right here. The Word of God. A testimony of His Spirit who lives inside of me as well. And through the testimony of saints who during the most difficult times of their life and the departure of their loved ones, all of a sudden God, the Holy Spirit, lifted them to a place where they could actually put it all in perspective. And I'll tell you, you have... Someone that has the right angle and a right perception of heaven. And I'll show you a person that has the capacity to have a right perception of life. A person who's really not capable of living the life God intended him to live on planet earth unless he has a proper attitude toward life after death. And so we talk about heaven today. It's a real physical place. It's described as a glorious city. Likened to pure gold and clear glass, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 11. The name of the city is New Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. It's the shape of a cube with the length, width, height being equal, to, uh, 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 being equal, Revelation chapter 21 verse 6. I really would like to have had that interview with Barbara Walters. Its size is about 12,000 furlongs, roughly 1,400 miles long, wide and high. There again, Revelation chapter 21, 16. I happen to believe, this is, uh, uh, you can't be too dogmatic on this, but what is that great cloud of witnesses the Scripture talks about? I personally believe it's angels. We know angels are checking out Corinth Baptist Church. And the thing they're most fascinated about us is this. Redemption. Because those angels that's bringing glory to God with great fascination look at us, God's also created beings, who have fallen and now tasted of redemption. And the Scripture records that when one soul, was you here last week when Mike Thomas talked about leading a fireman to Jesus Christ at 1.30 in the morning on a Friday night? Well, guess what? Angels don't need to sleep either. And so while the rest of us were sleeping, most of us, when Mike gave that gospel and his buddy there at the fire department bowed his heart and out loud prayed to receive Christ, my Bible says, as well as your Bible, that immediately there was a there was an expansive voice, almost in unison, perfect pitch, perfect harmony, that broke into a celestial choir of praising our great and magnificent God because a fireman down there... And, in Kentucky, received Christ as Savior. Buddy, that puts it all in perspective. Amen? Heaven is a real place. There are real people there right now as we speak. My sister is full grown. Someone says, do you think there are babies in heaven? All children who die without Christ, even those 
maybe leave from their mother's womb because of a miscarriage. We believe life begins at conception. That every one of those children are not perpetual and eternal children. They're in the full maturity because they are known as they, they know as they are known. And so every baby, though not saved, is safe. It immediately goes to heaven when that child dies. And then all these years of human history, every person before Christ the Messiah came into existence, as they would see and predict, looked forward to the Messiah, Old Testament saints who trusted in the shed blood of the Messiah to come. And all of us who look back to some 2,000 years ago of Calvary, as Emily so beautifully sung, about the shed blood of Christ, every single one of us, the whole heavens broke into a glorious choir, singing praise to our God and celebrating our salvation. That's pretty cool, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? And by the way, we must stand on the moon and look back at the earth. We must spiritually be lifted by faith to see what God wants us to see. Because no matter what you faced in the last seven days, or what you will be facing in the seven days to come, may God give you the capacity through a message of heaven to know this is not all that there is. Life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, then it vanisheth away. God remembers our frame and that it's but dust. And if you can put in perspective, someone once said it this way, that when you go up here and look at our grave markers, we have some loved ones up there. I've done too many funerals already in my short time there. But when the headstones are finally set, the name of the deceased is placed there. And then it puts the date when they were born, a dash, and then the date when they died. And one preacher put it this way, that dash between those dates represent your entire lifespan on planet earth if you could take that little bitty dash and put it in perspective and extend that dash beyond that wall and beyond our county and extend it beyond our state and go across america and around the the a body of an ocean and then around the other side of the world you would get in perspective the moon looking back at the earth what that little lifespan meant Three score and, and ten is what were promised 70 years, and many live beyond that time. But at the very best of us, we push that hundred figure, and then we die. But the glorious report is this. It's not all there is. There's literally, physically, a heaven that awaits us. Now, whether you're young or old, that is so encouraging. Because there's absolutely nothing that's transpired in the last week, including my resignation, that I've had a tough time, and some of you are talking with me a tough time. You've got to put it in perspective. In the economy and marvelous action of God in our life, in the weeks and months and years to come, with all the adjustments that that would mean for us locally, my grandkids, my adult kids are at my house right now will be in the service uh, before, one of the three services, well, not this one, obviously, but before the two services are over, they stayed up late. That's why I'm half asleep right now. But uh, when they start thinking about that, I ask them. I, I, I beseech my adult kids, I, and I look into their hearts and eyes, and I say, please have the heavenly perspective. There's more to life than this. Heaven is a real place. It contains a city. The city rests upon 12 layers of foundational stones, 
with each layer being inlaid with a different precious gem. Revelation chapter 21, verse 19 through 20. You may want to jot some of these verses down. Of course, this is being recorded, but this may be an encouragement to you. It contains a city, heaven does. It's not only a place, it's a city. Each foundation of this has one of the names of the twelve apostles on it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. The main street of the city is composed of transparent gold. Revelation 21, 21. One person says not to tell you how valuable heaven is. Not at all. That the very streets, rather than asphalts or gravel, like I have in my driveway and part of my subdivision, basically it's not to tell you how how expensive and valuable heaven is. It's really trying to tell you that how irrelevant gold is. How irrelevant the wealth that you leave here with is. Naked you came and naked you're going. And those of us who are going to heaven, as just a reminder to us, all those things, think about it, all those things you labored for and worked hard for, probably packaged in the realm of money, you'll be walking on pure, clear gold in heaven. Then it contains palaces. It's a real place, Miss Walters. It contains a city. It also contains palaces. The palaces may be possibly made of pure ivory. Psalm chapter 45 and verse 8. And what a place it is. Heaven is a place being prepared by Christ. John 14, 3. I've said this and I still contend that Jesus said, I'm going to go to prepare a place. And if we understood a little bit of the original language, and I'm not behooved original language conversation around here, but it's worth discussing at this moment. In six days, the Lord made everything there is. You've heard some old preacher talk like this. But he promises that he's going to prepare a place for us. And the language that's given there gives the idea it's an ongoing, perpetual, uh, progressive verb that I'm going to prepare a place and in preparing, I'll keep preparing. Look, I have no idea what it's like, but the very fact that my Lord makes a promise that He is preparing a place for us and that the moment we take our last breath, we're there. Heaven's a place of holiness, Revelation 21, 27. It's a place of beauty, Psalm 50, verse 2. It's a place of unity. No one will have to work on the bonds of unity in heaven. Amen? The old nature's past. All of a sudden now we have gotten a glorifying body. We are present. And there's no debate about church business meeting, church polity or governance. There's no uh, campaigns. You go from one camp, one presidential election, and there's no more breathing, and he's starting another campaign. Republicans and Democrats are all alike in this matter. There's no campaigning in heaven because it's settled once and for all. There's one person in charge in heaven. It's not the independents. It's not the Republicans. It's not the uh, Democratic Party. It's not a particular government here in America that claims a superpower or the lack less of superpower. It is our great, wonderful, marvelous God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in charge. And there's not even within us a question of Him being in charge. There is a total peace by all of its members, all of its inhabitants in heaven. 
And there's a, there's a peace that comes that knowing that we are together and there's a song in our voice. We'll talk about that. It's a place of unity. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. It's a place of perfection. 1 Corinthians 13, 10. I've been noticing lately, since I've been with you, I've got a couple brown spots that have emerged. I blame you for that. I've lost some hair. Believe it or not, it's true. And uh, and, and looking back at the first uh, service that I came, I looked back and I thought, well, good night. You've aged, dude. Who is that person? Do you know what's wonderful in heaven? There ain't no aging there. And by the way, if you want to ski in heaven, if that's what you want, the lady led me to Christ. She said, I said, what if I want to do such? She said, David, once you're there in heaven, if that's what you want to do, because my want to is also perfected. If you want to do that, and that's what makes you happy, it'll be there. I do know there's water in heaven. I just happen to think we won't have to worry about boat motors in heaven. I think if you want to ski, you'll be able to get a supernatural cord, pull up some supernatural skis, and we'll ski right down the wonderful, beautiful uh, water that comes from the mount. A place of perfection. It's a place of joy, Psalm 16 11. <clears throat> Heaven is also a place that lasts for all eternity. John 3.15 and Psalm 23.6. There's no renegotiation. There's no retooling. God's not going to do this again. Can you look at me on this one and be captivated by standing on the moon and looking back at the earth of this reality? Heaven is a place without end. Heaven's a place of no. What's not in heaven? This is my favorite list. I have this in the fly leaf of my Bible, just as a reminder. Revelation 7:17 says, "There's no tears in heaven. We will begin our entrance into heaven where at one point, standing at the judgment seat of Christ, God will bring to all of us who know Christ those things that need to be brought to us, though we've been forgiven by them. And so traumatic are they that God will have to wipe away all tears. I think Simon, with his best intention, when he said, Lord, don't go to the cross, was rebuked, get thee behind me, Satan. I think that this preacher, with the best of motives and a, a year given to this, uh, his life, given to study the Word and leading God's people and training those who are going to be, lead, be leading God's people, I think there's going to be that inclination in every single one of us that with our pure motive and, and we think that we're doing right, I think at that moment, God says, I know you thought you were doing right, but you were delusional. You were spiritually self-deceived. And by the way, let me just say this so no one will ever misinterpret this. There's not a single person, including this preacher in this room, who cannot relate to Simon Peter that with the full force of even soliciting others, follow me, here's God's cause for my life actually believe they're doing right, only to discover, hopefully in this life, through the wonderful, loving rebuke of a brother that says to me, Brother, to Dave, don't you realize the error of your way? Let me show you the Scripture prompted by the Spirit. I've considered myself, and I'm coming to you, brother, who are overtaken in a fault. And I want you, Pastor, I want you, Brother Dave, to realize from the Word of God that you have been in error. That's happened to me in my two years being here. Loving, spiritually mature brother, prompted by the Spirit, appropriately, biblically, discreetly, not in a post on a blog or on a Facebook deal, 
but lovingly comes to me and interacts with me. And of course, later, two different times, I publicly took my fault to this pulpit and all three services apologized. What does that mean? That means that every single one of us at some point have been deceived. And for those who enter into heaven's glory with that not dealt with, there's a time when God reaches in and pulls out His big handkerchief and says, let me do a little flash moment for you. And those moments will be recalled. All the people you love the most, your spouse, your kids, where you with the best intentions made a decision, but the truth of it is you weren't spiritual, you weren't discerning. And God's going to reveal how, how deep and how painful you were an instrument to the people you love the most and you're hurt in such a devastating way. And at that moment, you cannot blame anybody else. You can't blame circumstances. You cannot blame events. At that critical moment, God is going to reveal to you, and though you have a ticket to heaven, and though He loves you while He's revealing to you, there's going to be an emotional moment. At that moment, God's going to reach into His divine pocket and pull out a handkerchief and the Bible promises he'll wipe away all tears. Isn't this good? Because there's not going to be any tears in heaven past that moment. I won't be self-deceived. There's no sickness, Revelation chapter 22. There's no pain, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. There's no death, no more funerals. There's no graveyards in heaven, Isaiah 25, 8. There's no thirst or hunger. I believe I'm perpetually hungry and perpetually thirsty. I'm hungry right now. How many are hungry right now? Oh man, no wonder you're so hard to preach to. Now that I mention it, look, you're like Pablo's dog. You're starting to salivate. Do you know that in heaven, in heaven, no hunger, no thirst. Why? Because you are for uh, all eternity perfectly satisfied. No death, no thirst. There's no more sin. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. The second most glorious thing in heaven. There's no sin there. I said the second most glorious thing because I really believe the most glorious thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. No more judgment upon sin. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. There's no need for the sun or the moon because the very presence and glory of Jesus Christ will illuminate the entire universe. There's no night for those of little children. I had Giazia, went and got her and brought her in my room last night. Just a little bit fearful of the dark. Laid down on the floor where we had made a little mat. Pulled her little head up and just, man, that was a special moment. Whispered sweet, calms and gentle words into her ear. Honey, I'm, Papa's here. Grandma's right over here. You don't have to be afraid. Ain't going to be no children afraid of the dark. Amen. No men or women. Because the night has been cast aside, the city will shine with the, and be enlightened by God's glory. Chapter 17 of John's Gospel, verse 24. Hey, look who's going to be in heaven. Miss Walters, would you listen to me interview this preacher? Based upon the authoritative, inerrant word of God, the city will be the bridegroom's gift to the bride, Christ's church. That's who will be there. Now look, folks, you've heard preachers say this in revival meetings, maybe sometimes with a sweating and sawdust under the tent. I've been to those meetings. In heaven, think about this. Every born-again believer, whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, no matter who you are, where you come from, is going to be in heaven.
in this glorious. There'll be no conflicts, but any hairs over this or that. Because the city, the bridegroom, the gift, the bride will be there. It will be shared by saved Israel, all of those who look toward the Messiah, Dan 7.10, Hebrews 12.22. The Father will be there, Daniel 7.9, Revelation 4, verse 2. The Son will be there, Revelation 5 and verse 6. The Holy Spirit will be there, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. I'm looking for, to spend a couple thousand years... First of all, totally, I've taught the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. God is one and yet He's three. I'm here to admit to you, I don't fully get it. I just by faith believe it. And I look forward to, oh, taking whatever time I'll need at that point to talk to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and while talking to them, have them thoroughly explain because I'll have the mental capacity and the resources because I'll have a glorified brain too to fully comprehend these great theological issues that still, for a lifetime, have caused me of searching the Scriptures, not just accepting by faith, because faith will become sight. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, I cannot touch Jesus with my hand. Those things that we read in the Old and New Testament, I have not personally experienced other than the promises and being born again, but those things... But when I get to heaven, faith will become sight. Who will be in heaven? The angels will be there. I'm looking to coaching up an angel who didn't experience what I experienced. You know, an angel in heaven has never been redeemed. They didn't need to be redeemed. The scripture records that they stand in awe and very curious about those of us I referenced earlier. I'm so glad I'm preaching this sermon three times. I've got points I've had to bypass looking at the clock up there, and I'm just saying, Adams. So I'm going to make sure we cover it. Angels who worship God continually, they'll be there. And also, it is only for those who have been born again. Miss Walters, I'm going to answer what Larry King asked Billy Graham, and what you ask, who is there? Every single person from every nation and every tongue, every color of skin, every ethnic background, every social economic class, there's no class warfare there because there's only one class, and that's the sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ who have been redeemed by faith. How do you go to heaven? That if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Heaven's a place for God and His plan as holy angels. Heaven is also designed for every human being that Jesus died for and has prepared a place for them, your mama, your son, your daughter, your bride, your husband, those relatives, those dear Chinese people, it's already 12 hours ahead of me. They got up at 6 o'clock this morning. This underground church is praying for the lost loved ones. Every single person that will by faith trust in Christ as Savior, every one of them, Miss Walters, is going to a real place called heaven. I talked to Miss Nancy yesterday. She said, I was so counting on you doing my funeral. And then Andrew reading a few verses. I've had several members in this church that was a part of their response to God's leadership in my life and Becky's life. And here's what's awful sweet. As much as that rips the heart right out of this preacher... I have to tell you this, the very fact that I know 
that whether it's Dave Adams or you, when you take your last breath, you're ushered immediately into the presence of God in His wonderful, glorious heaven, and you're going to be waiting for the rest of us when we come having received Christ. Let's pause for prayer. I ask the Lord this morning to enable me as your preacher, your preacher of the hour, to present a message that, quite frankly, would enable you for a moment to leave your earthly stresses and toils and stand for a moment on the moon and look back at your life in perspective. When you talk about, think about, preach about heaven, if you truly believe in that place, as I do, and as I know most of you do, if not all of you, would you not put it in perspective the tremendous joys and experiences you've had, and maybe some of the disappointment and heartaches, that we don't build anything permanent in this life. We are just pilgrims passing through. For some, you've been privileged to live in this county 40, 50 years plus. For some, like last Sunday, just been here two weeks. Diane and Pat took the wife of that UPS pilot out to lunch on breakfast, lunch on Monday. And in that service, as glorious as it was, right down to my, my reading of my plans, God's direction of my life, I'm so thrilled to announce to you that that family's planning on coming to a church that has eternal perspective, not built around a man, or even about a people itself. Isn't that glorious? I'm so proud of this church that guests can walk in and when they leave they have a little bit of the fragrance of heaven because they've been around as saints as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed you'd say brother Adams this morning pray for me because I've wrapped myself up so much in this life I forgot to spiritually step out and stand on the moon and look back at the earth the truth of it is I've gotten very encumbered with the things of this life would you just pray for me that God would enable me to see my life as He sees it? Of course, enjoy my family and my labors and the responsibilities I have, but to put them all in perspective. And that's what I got from your message, Brother Adams. I need to have a little loftier gaze, a little broader perspective. I need to put everything in its context. I need to understand that this is not all there is. And the worst could happen, I can make a decision and mess up a decision or make a purchase or those different things in your life and you have a tendency to have regrets. And may God give you the ability through His Spirit to rise above all those decisions and pressures and stress and put it in perspective your life. You can say, Preacher, here's what's happened to me this morning. I've seen a little bit of heaven and enabled me to put in perspective life's toils and stress. And I'm thanking the Lord that He's preparing a place for me. God's spoken to me today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Say, yeah, preacher, the Lord's spoken to me today about... Yes, hold him for just a second. Yes, so many. Let's all stand. Have a word of prayer.